We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode number 56 of Lion Legacy and Ross, we are talking food and social media. There's so much to say about both of them. <laughs> this will make sense to the listener in a moment. But, you know, you think about Jared, right? Years ago, again, I'm going to sound like a dinosaur years ago, right? Like you, you were somebody told you about a restaurant. OK, word of mouth. Right. And perhaps you go on their website. Maybe you look up the menu and you're taking somebody's opinion of it. And you say, oh, I'm going to go try it out. I'll give it a shot. But you've got this added element these days of not just the, the websites, but you've got their social, right? Every restaurant is on social media and you can go and you can see what they're up to, what specials they have, what events they have planned. And they've got this awesome videos out there, right? It's, they really do it up. And I think it just enhances the experience if you've never been there about what you're going to, what, what you're going to experience, right? I, I actually also get a lot of recommendations from social, from people, right. influencers, right. people I don't even know, right. rating the top five burgers in New York City, yep. the top five pizza slices. Right. And you're like, all right, I'm going to put it on my list now. That's right. So I, what my, the point here is that it really, I think social media has enhanced food overall, specifically the restaurant industry, making more than just, oh, I'm going to go get something to eat. It's now, it's an experience, right? It's like a multimedia experience. The reason why we're talking about that is that we spoke with Kate Chan. She not only has an, an agency that helps out restaurants with their social media content, but she's also the creator of the Instagram handle Katie Eats Philly. And she's got a lot of great stuff out there. Again, twofold. Number one, on her Katie Eats Philly, she goes around Philadelphia and elsewhere for that matter, trying out different food. She gives you the reviews, the whole experience. She puts together some beautiful social content. And then separately, she helps restaurants curate their own brand and social content through advising, consulting. And so they, too, can make this crazy content that we all can see as consumers and want to go eat at the restaurant. So it's really cool the way that she's kind of got that bifold approach to not only social media, but also her consulting, Jared. Yeah, enjoy the conversation and just a lot of what she believes around social around connecting to people community really resonated with me. Also do want to give a shout out. Kate was found through the podcasting class, KDO2's podcasting class, which we have a great partnership with. We're actually meeting with them again in a few weeks. So excited to meet the new crop of students. But thanks to C. Chen, who connected us with Kate Chen. Oh, and one more thing. Jared and I were thinking about this after the conversation that we had with Kate. The audio doesn't do it justice. So before, during, after you listen to this episode, check out her Instagram. Again, it's at Katie, K-A-T-I-E, Eats Philly, right? And we'll put that in the show notes. Check out her Instagram because I think it really helps. Her work that she's done on social media helps to supplement the conversation and really give you the whole flavor. There it is, Jared, of what we're talking about. And with that, there, I already did my pun. And with that, we're speaking with Kate Chan. All right. Let's welcome Kate Chan, a 2021 graduate with a degree in public relations 
advertising and applied communication. Kate is now founder and creative director of Ichiyuzu Media and is the influencer behind the famous food Instagram account, Katie Eats Philly. We're looking forward to learning more about the wild world and ever-changing dynamic of social media. Welcome to Lion Legacy, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Kate, it's great to have you on here. Well, let's start off with a question that came up very quickly during the prep for our conversation. What's the meaning behind your agency name, Ichiyuzu? Well, that's a great question. The name is kind of random, actually. So one day I was going through a phrase where I was absolutely obsessed with Juju, which is a citrus commonly known in Japan. And I wanted to sound, I wanted to make it sound a little bit more intriguing. So I decided to add Ichi into the name, which means one in Japanese. So now it's now known as Ichiyuju, with literal translation as one Juju. <laughs> Wait, can you explain this though for me? I'm not picking up on the yuzu part. What is the meaning? The yuzu part, so yuzu is a Japanese citrus. So itchy means one. So basically the name comes from my interest in yuzu. I became really liking the flavor of yuzu ice cream, yuzu sorbet. It's sort of like lemon, but it tastes a little different. I'm not sure how to describe it but it's some sort of like citrus. Yeah, Jared, it's a fruit. It's You don't really find it, I guess, as much in, right, mm -hmm. Kate, Kate, in the U.S. I mean, I know I like, I've been on vacation, right? And you'll have, mm -hmm. Yuzu will be in like a, a cocktail or something, right? Mm -hmm. I guess you you seem to find it elsewhere. I know it's big also in in Asian cuisine or if you go to like a wine bar, they'll have, they'll mix Yuzu into, into the uh, drinks, right? Yep, absolutely. And it's literally my favorite flavor ever. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. I, I had no clue. I'm going to have to try this flavor then. <laughs> I'm sure next time you're at the dinner, Jared, you'll see it on the menu and it'll have you that serendipitous moment for you. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So speaking a little bit more about your agency, you say that your agency is a, quote, Gen Z way of content creation, end quote. Help us and the listeners understand what that actually means. Yeah, so... Essentially, the way of how social media is powered right now is based on a huge demographic of Gen Z users and also the trends that they create. And for myself, I'm also a Gen Z, and I feel like by connecting to others with our genuine personality and sense of humor, we can really not only reach our target audience, but we can also have a good time while doing that. And that goes to both ways. Like our audience have a good time and we as a creator also have a great time. And just overall, it created this community of where we can like genuinely help each other and benefit from each other as well. And I think it's just a really a powerful thing that when all the Gen Z kind of comes in together and like they work together to create something so beautiful. Okay. So, so Kate, so, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Jared and I are not part of Gen Z, right? We're part of Gen Y, but we see kind of based on the content that you have out there, right? Just from your portfolio, from your own social media, like, first of all, it's very eye-catching. It brings you in. It wants you to be interested in the company, the brand, the restaurant, whatever it is. Do you have your folks you're working with say, we want this to look a certain way and with Gen Z being the audience, or is it more just like, we want to do it this way and then we'll just kind of suck everyone in as a result? So 
we don't particularly have um, a strict guideline on th- of uh, things today. So how we typically work is we work around the trends that are coming up. So the audience already exists no matter what. So based on the trends that we're doing, it matches up what makes sense with the audience that like for the business that we're working with. So for example, let's just say we are promoting a restaurant. So promoting a restaurant, there's so many ways how typically you would just take pictures of the food, like 360 degrees of filming different angles and different lighting. But there's also different approach where, let's just say, it's a trendy restaurant. So you can do something a little bit more fun. So instead of just promoting the food, you're promoting the personality behind the food. You're promoting the fun work culture. For example, you can make a joke about who closing the bars and everything and the fun thing that they do with their co-worker, like the bartender, Bessie, and stuff like that. So there's a lot more. We just want to connect like the human connection into the social media aspect of things because social media had been around not too long but it mainly it have a bad rep of creating bad mental health and i feel like we want to change that we want to have social media as something that is positive for us something that when we go to it it makes us happy it entertain us it creates an impact in our life instead of like a competition so the way when I put it at Gen Z is that we want to really connect to people. We want to connect with the audience that we're reaching in a way where we're not just promoting, but we're here as like a person. You can approach us, you can trust us. We're literally all the same. So that is basically essentially the goal that I want to have it as. Yeah. Got it. Makes sense. Good explanation. Thank you. So now let's get into the platforms a little bit. Right. There's a bunch out there, right? We all know all of them. We're on, some people are on all of them. Some people are on none of them and everything in between. Are there certain social media platforms that you find that work a little better for certain types of storytelling? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I am a huge fan of using Instagram for content such as lifestyle, storytelling, or just general pictures like vlogging or anything aesthetic pleasing. And But when it comes to, like, platform like TikTok, it is raw. It is real. There's, like, tears. There's laughter. There's just so much genuine emotion of what people really go through on a daily basis. And I think that's something that we all can relate to. And that's something that what I really love about it. At the end of the day, I think we're all just, like, people. We all just want to feel connected. And so, yeah, I definitely think that different platform benefits like a different way of like storytelling very differently, of course. And with all that combined, people can see the different aspects of the world, different point of views. And that's where we can all learn from each other. And I think that's just incredible. Now, talking a little bit more about platforms, right? There seems to be more and more social media platforms. A month or two ago, we heard about threads coming out which was maybe viewed as a competitor to twitter which is now called x Mm -hmm. obviously the space is growing it's very busy how do you advise brands maybe on when to add another platform to the mix or just say hey we're you're fine with with the three or four platforms that you currently have so I advise brands to learn more about the platform first 
do the audience like align well with the people who use the app? And what is the purpose of people downloading that app to begin with? What do they use that app for? So I feel like having a better understanding of that helps the brand itself to position themselves. And I feel like there's only so many platforms that each brand can really handle, considering that there's like a different approach to every platform. And sometimes they don't function the same. Sometimes like on Twitter, like on Instagram, Facebook, they're all different approach to how you promote things, how you reach someone. But I think that the most important thing is, yes, I feel like adapting is a good idea, but as long as the general guideline is there and the message is consistent, I, I would say just go for it. You know, social media nowadays become more of a lifestyle rather than more more like just like marketing. It becomes more like a part of your life. And the way how like when people promote things on social media, they just use like more real approach. So as long as the message is consistent, as long as the general guideline meets, then yeah, that's to be good. See a couple of things there. One, I'm glad you said that the brands can only sometimes handle a few of platforms, right? They have like their ceiling. Cause I, I feel like myself as a consumer, I'm the same way. Like I, I kind of use the ones I use new ones come out. I'm just like, I can't handle anything new. I don't want to learn it. I don't want to go find people. But on the other hand, this is my second point is that at the end of the day, like if you think about the business side of social media, like it's all ends up being basically the same company. I mean, like Meta owns what, like everything, right? Facebook, Instagram threads. The point there is that they're all connected. So yeah. if you're a brand and you want to make something, you want to put some content out there, you can click a button and put it on three different platforms with one click. So now diving a little bit more deep into some of the work you've done, would you say that there's one or two projects or campaigns that you've worked on that stand out to you or that you're the most proud of? Ooh, that's a really good question. Uh, so I won't share the specific name of the campaign. Just that's fine. But my absolutely favorite campaign that I work with is in New York City, where we had a brand activation. We were promoting all the different brands, the local businesses on that particular avenue and street. So I was running between New York City and Philadelphia. It was so much fun, though. And I had a great time learning about the campaign. We worked with a lot of PR. They had the most amazing team, like, he made and that was one of my favorite ones the second one i worked on a campaign in san antonio texas where we were promoting the wellness of food and it was just one of the it's a very incredible campaign that we worked on the message that they're trying to spread also worked with pr companies as well and overall it's a blast but it's something that i'm truly very proud of that's great is there a company that you're currently not working with that you think is doing an excellent job from a social media perspective essentially like who do you admire what brands do you look at and say wow they're doing a great job yeah absolutely duolingo without a doubt duolingo did an amazing job in the marketing particularly in the tiktok i believe they grew 
from start to start time, they grew to 7 million followers, I believe. Not really so statistically, but around that. They have a very clear understanding of who they're reaching and how to really approach the audience, how to talk to the audience without actually selling the product themselves. I mean, of course, they wear the mascot, but they're not actually selling Duolingo to learn a language or anything. They did include some of that, but they market themselves in a form of entertainment. They're definitely in a position where they have a lot of trust from the audience. And I find myself quite entertained from their content as well. So they're definitely a company that I truly admire from. Is that hard sometimes when brands are on social media and they're putting marketing dollars behind it, but there's not necessarily a direct attribution to a sale at the end? Like, how do you talk to your clients about that? Because it is important to create that connection and community that you speak about, Mm -hmm. but you may not see a direct tie from what you're doing on social media to sales, which a general manager or CEO may call into question. Yeah, that's a great question because um, like all of those are marketing as well. So at the end of the day, what they're doing is for a reason, like they're selling, they may not be selling that particular product itself, but they are still selling the brand. So the brand and the recognition is exactly where that they put the money into. So they're building a recognition, they're building the trust in that brand. So people recognize it. They are promoting it with a mascot. And when people see that mascot, that immediately their brain will go to what they recognize, which is the form of trust, the form of entertainment, and psychologically that become more in favor. So like in terms of marketing psychology, people are more comfortable with what they are more familiar with. And in that term, it could be said that it is also used in that approach. Right. I've been on the marketing side as well. And sometimes it's a little bit of a hard case to make, but I do agree with you. It is important to to be part of that community and create those connections. Jared, I was waiting for you to say ROI. I was very disappointed you didn't put <laughs> ROI in that question. Come on. That's the big topic, right? Whether yeah. you're a GM, a CEO, CFO, yeah. right? Those are the types of questions yeah. you get. I, I mean, look, at, but you, you have a good point though. It is a tough on the business side, right? I mean, look, I'm a business type. I'm not a creative type. And so let's just say a restaurant that doesn't have a ton of people working for them, they could send one of their people out to figure figure out what the social media content is and maybe it doesn't really stick. Or they could pay a fee to you and you know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, but it's hard to put the dollars around, hey, how many more people are walking in the door? How many more people are placing orders for, for takeout? And they could see some spike Is it directly related to somebody putting eyeballs on that content? I don't know, but I'm sure you could kind of, they could try to, there's gotta be a way to figure it out somehow. But I think that's been the age old question is how do you figure that out? That was more of a rhetorical, not necessarily, but welcome your other comments on that. Yeah, I think the direct metrics of where, oh, how many people click on it? How many people buy immediately? That is always a hard. Sure. Yeah, it's always like a hard area to like pinpoint because are they really making the decision based on that very ad or are they making it a decision because they already have something to back up the decision? 100%. So 
there's a lot of things that go into like making a decision. For example, like some people like to go window stopping on um scene or X and M and stuff like that, but they don't make the decision immediately sometimes. But there's something that might impact other than just looking at whatever they're purchasing. So I think it's very broad in terms of the advertisement. I think social media is what people look into before the decision making. So like by pushing both, it increases the chance of being able to sell in products or being able to really push what they need to push. Thanks for helping uh, give some additional insight there. I want to go back actually to 2012 when you started your Instagram account, Katie Eats Philly. You were in middle school, is that right? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> Unbelievable. So talk about the creation of the account that at such an early age and then separately want to just dive into your also your passion for food. Yeah, so so the passion for food definitely came from traveling at a young age. Every summer I would go to Hong Kong. That's where my family is from. And we would live there for two to three months at a time. And then that includes eating some of the best food that they have all around. That include going to places around Hong Kong, like Macau, mainland China, and all that. And that actually helped me a lot that I don't become a picky eater because I've been exposed to so many food. I quite literally will try anything but bug. I don't think I would but, say but, that. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but anything else, I would say I'm open to it. I would probably try it. And also, I was born and raised in New York, aka a place with the, with one of the places with the most diverse selection of food. And we don't stick around with one type of cuisine. So when we go out to eat, which is quite often, and every time we would try something new, we would try Thai, we would try Italian, we would try all type of food. My dad also knows how to cook. So he acts as a food critique and be like, oh, this is this texture is not good and everything. And I sort of pick it up. Like I pick up a few things of try to understand food a little bit more and learn the fun of exploring different texture, different tastes and flavors, particularly in like different ingredients. And it just, it's how beautiful it really is when all the ingredients come in harmony. But overall, it's a fascinating experience to have the privilege to enjoy food and just really being in the moments of eating the food and also learn a little bit about the history of the food because sometimes like when you eat a particular dish there's a reason why that dish is what it is and I found that very fascinating and that's how I kind of got into it and by starting the account I just want to remember what I ate (laughs) (laughs) not much particular reason I didn't know there was no such thing as um food blogger back then there I mean there is but I didn't know I was in grade school. <laughs> so I just started it because I like taking pictures. I want to document what I eat. I want to show it to my friend. I'll be like, oh, this place is really good. You should try it. So that was my goal. And then now it became such a beautiful community where I could share with more than just my friends, but they are all my friends. I still like to see them that way. And yeah, it would become a community where we can all share food with each other, see the good experiences that we can all have, and just have a conversation but around food. So yeah. 
All right. So well, let's dig a little deeper into your work with the restaurants, right? So you mentioned earlier kind of your approach, right? On how you would help them from, from the agency side, the Ichiyuzu side. Just kind of tell us how does it all work? Do they, does like a restaurant find you? Do they contact you? Do you pitch them? Talk through that. And then I, I guess somewhere along the way, like you get a free meal to try it all out, right? Yeah. So um, definitely. So restaurant typically would approach me. They, I would, I'm not sure how they find me, actually. Sometimes by email, sometimes they have a PR list. Sometimes the restaurant itself just happened to bump into my content and they would reach out. They would say, hey, let's collaborate. Let's work with the restaurant. Come over, try our food. Give me some of your insight. Sometimes they would want me as a food critic and sometimes they would like for feedback and all that. And sometimes they just want me to help promote the restaurant, to promote the business. So I think sometimes it's a good experience and sometimes it would be more of like a suggestion. And at the end of the day, I do want to keep my page genuine and only promoting positive experiences that I think my audience would enjoy. So I would take all those positive experiences that I have and I would share that on my page. But yeah. So we work collaboratively as in I come into the restaurant and they would comp my meal and then I would do the promotion for them and all that. And that is how it typically works when it comes to working with restaurants. You've obviously created a, a nice personal brand for yourself. You probably didn't realize it when you were in middle school in 2012, but here we are with over 11,000 followers What's your advice to high school or college students today who are creating a personal brand or maybe even haven't given thought on why they should create a personal brand for themselves? So this goes by default, but seriously, just absolutely be yourself. And not only that, but be true to yourself. So only you would know what your goal is at the end of the day. Only you would do what you want it to do for you. So remember why you started doing what you do. It's very easy to get distracted, very easy to drift away, particularly from a goal when you start to lose focus on it because there's so many distractions in life, it happens. But I would say get a goal and stick to it. And But most importantly, remain open-minded because you'll never know what really gonna happen because the best thing in life happened when you're not looking for it. Um, also, it has to make you happy because if it doesn't and it's just a goal, that will make it a lot harder. I'm not saying it's not achievable, but it will make it so much harder to do that for yourself. So make sure what you're doing makes you happy. Make sure that you are genuine 100% yourself. You're comfortable in doing what you're doing. And yeah, just make sure to just do what makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I love that. So of course we have to ask if you have one night in Philadelphia, what's one place you're going to go? Posticano's Coast. It's one of my favorite restaurants. It's also nearby Paris Landon. Yeah. Um, I, I would say so. I mean, yeah, I walk a lot in the city, so I'm not really sure if my distance is the same as other people perceive it. I'm the type of person who said, let's walk there, even though it's 45 minutes away. I've actually never been to that restaurant though, but I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Ross, have you been? I, I've not, but I'm, I know it's right next door to Zahav and I was at Zahav yeah. two weekends ago. So I know exactly where it is. I've never been there. Mm-hmm. 
Put it on I'll have to list. check it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then since this is obviously a Penn State podcast, what's your favorite place to eat in State College? I feel like I've been so long since I've been there. But I do remember spending an awful amount of time in Kung Fu Tea. <laughs> like all day, almost every day I would go to Kung Fu Tea. I would get a boba and then I would get a banh mi, which is a Vietnamese hoagie. And but then they recently opened this pokey place when I graduate, and it's pretty good. So I would see myself going there if they open earlier than me graduating. But my go-to spot, like a restaurant, would probably be this one Indian buffet, which I don't know what it called. I completely forgot what it's called, but it's the Indian buffet. It is not too expensive. It's very affordable. And yeah, it's just really good. Well, let's talk a little more about Penn State. We're going to put you in the Lions Den, brought to you by our friends at Lions Pride. It's football season. So remember to visit lions-pride.com to pick up all your Penn State apparel and gear. So, uh, Kate, this has been a great conversation. And I know you're still in the early part of your career, but how, looking back on your time at Penn State, how did it prepare you for this first few years you've had in the real world? Yeah, so I feel like Penn State really pushed me out of my comfort zone. When I was studying journalism, one of my assignments, actually my whole class, was going out and finding people, like interviewing random people off the street that you have never talked to. But at the same time, it also makes me feel more comfortable talking to strangers nowadays, that you can approach people, ask them questions, learn more about them. And that's something that helped me a lot in developing my career in starting a business, talking to business owner, it really helped building that confidence of being able to talk to someone on a professional level, learning about their needs, understanding them better. And I feel journalism definitely taught me a lot of that. Like public relations taught me about how business in general work and what they needed, what they expect from people, particularly for the one who are helping them and how to align with the goal a little better. So the I absolutely love my professors. Like all of my professors just did an incredible job in helping me to really grow my mindset when it comes to approaching in these things. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Toughest question of the podcast, favorite Penn State memory? Oh, it's random, <laughs> but I love plant. And I had this horticulture class where we get to propagate like a bunch of plants. And honestly, that's just my favorite moment where we were in the greenhouse. We get to propagate anything that we want. And to me, that was heaven. That was literally heaven. <laughs> I had a blast. And I made a friend there. And we would go to ice cream after. It was like right next to the ice cream um, spot. So after class, we would go there and just holding our little plant, making sure it don't die. Um, but yeah, that was surprisingly, it was little moments like that made it the highlights of my Penn State memory. But overall, the whole journey been the best two years that I had. I, I had an amazing time, honestly. Yeah. My, my, my wife calls those little moments glimmers, right? So when you said that, right, just the little moments that make you happy. I love that. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. So, hey, if you, Kate, if you could go back and visit with yourself as an 18 year old freshman about to, right, you started at Abington, correct? Yes. Right? So, when you about to set foot on at Penn State Abington, what advice would you share with yourself if you could go back in time? Honestly, it was, I don't know, because it was perfect the way it is. I feel like I, I, I didn't expect anything, I just expected to be school no fun to school but it turned out to be amazing so it, there's so much more like when it comes to Penn State it's just especially Abington because literally everybody know everybody and I would say one advice would be maybe participate in uh, participate in a football game I am a Penn Stater who had not been to a football game I know it's bad. Wait, yeah. over the even when you went to University Park? No, I haven't. No. I, it was a pandemic, to be okay. fair. Uh, that's, that's all right. That's fair. fair. That's fair. I was look, gonna go, but I didn't end up there, going. Well, look, there, there's still time if you find yourself up there in the fall, right? Even though you've graduated, you could always get yourself go with some friends, get some tickets. You can still make it happen. Yes, I will definitely have to make it happen within the next five years because I cannot start a graduate until I go to a football game. There you go. What was that transition like, though, from Abington, where you said you knew everyone, to University Park, which would be impossible to know everyone? So for me, it's a little funny because I go home every weekend. I know it's a little far, but I still did it anyway. <laughs> I did it because I want to see my friends. And I feel like there's always something happening in Philadelphia on the weekend that I have to be here, even though I'm like three, four hours away. But every weekend I would come back. But the transition overall, I guess like not seeing your friends during the weekdays and not being able to work together in the library together anymore. Like, obviously we can still FaceTime, but it's just not the same. Going to, going from an intimate setting into a place where you meet one person and you'll never see them again, it's, it's a lot different. I find it really difficult to really build a friendship in University Park. It happened, but it just, a lot harder than Abington. In Abington, yeah. just, it's such a confined space that you're like always going to see each other. They're always going to be conversation because everything happened in such a small space. Mm-hmm. Everything, no, everything. But when it comes to University Park, it's so big, like nobody will really know the same things. They're not much like common topics to talk about, like straight off the bat. You have to think a little bit more into it. So... Also, the commute, like, it's definitely transitioning from, like, more living at home environment to a living by yourself environment, which I absolutely love and enjoy, is give you a sense of what it's like to really live a college life. So I think uh, to transition into University Park is really fun, and you really get to experience everything, but... Yeah, that was a transition. It was very smooth, but it's obviously a shocking difference. Well, it's great to hear. Certainly, yeah, you've got to adapt anytime mm-hmm. you move to University yeah. Park. And there's a, a ton of great opportunities there. But we always talk about you having to, to seek out those opportunities as well. Mm-hmm. When you find out someone is considering Penn State, what do you tell them? What's your advice? Why should someone go to Penn State? Ooh, 
I show them pictures. <laughs> I show them pictures of the best um, memories that I've ever had. Um, that includes going to Thon, that includes the 5K run, that includes eating ice cream with popcorn flavor ice cream. You'll never find that. It's so good. The plants, yeah, the plants from the greenhouse and how beautiful everything is. And school-wise, okay, so honestly speaking, I would not promote anything. Oh, it's school and everything because the same age people, we don't talk about academic as much. But Academically, it's amazing, and but it's more environmental type of thing. I would promote how beautiful the campus is, how amazing the people are, and knowing that you're in the middle of nowhere, literally, you start to depend on everyone. Everyone becomes like so friendly because it's just a, it's in the middle of Pennsylvania. And I think that's also something that is so fun. The life, the, the things that you learn, all the professors are always like there for you when you need them. Just so nice and understanding. And unfortunately, I didn't experience the football game, but I also said that you should definitely talk about the football game because I can see how happy everyone was when it comes to the whiteout. Hey, and then how do you feel most connected to the university today? Um... I would say my friends, actually. Like, many of my friends were still connected, like, mainly my friend from Penn State Abington since um, I was at University Park when the pandemic happened. Sure. But, yeah, like, my friends, we are very much connected, and sometimes we still joke about things that happened. At Abington, for example, we have a pond, and there's this guy that was, like, trying to pet a duck, and he fell down. She fell in the pond and that was hilarious. But like memories like that, like running to class after the eating breakfast with five minutes time left and all those little things. I still feel very much connected to Penn State. I still visit the campus a lot. That's where we actually hang out. We take walks around the campus. It's going to be a home forever. I feel like it's a place where we're like always going to have good memories. It's where we practically spend most of our days and it's just it's all good memories it's just nice to think of it yeah that's great mm-hmm. well we certainly appreciate you coming on with us tonight i think one of the many things that resonated with us was your intention with social media and that's around connecting to people growing communities we talked about mental health there as well right and being happy, entertaining people, and less about a competition. And I think that was at the heart of it when social media started. It was about connection and community. Mm-hmm. And I think you're certainly with your personal Instagram account, Katie Eats Philly, but also your work, you're really bringing a great intention and keeping that original intention of social media. So thanks for coming on. Greatly appreciate it. We'll certainly continue to follow Katie Eats Philly on Instagram. And we always end the podcast with, we are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.